Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. The Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is a question and answer podcast for those on the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. But if you'd like to send in a message and you're not in the course and you have a question about your Chinese learning, you can send it to podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. We'd be happy to answer. And of course, we give priority to the people on the course, but often we can get to all the questions on any given week's episode. So on today's episode, of course, we're going to have some Q&A, but I have some updates I'd like to talk about first because there's an interesting bit of feedback we've been getting from various different uh, people on the course, including some people uh, who've been giving us some case studies. And the overwhelming uh, response we've been getting to the course has been just absolutely fantastic. We're so thrilled that so many of you are getting such a great um, sort of benefit from the course and being able to literally understand so much Chinese and how it's a you know, affecting even your ability to understand people and communicate. It's really great. It's exactly what we were hoping for. But there is this bit of feedback we've been getting that would require a bit of a course structure change. And so to explain what this is about, I'll need to sort of briefly go over what the Mandarin Blueprint Method uh, does and how we how you travel through it, as it were. So phases one and two of the course would have no change in this proposition. Uh, but Starting from phase three through phase four through phase five, we might have a change in how we structure the course. And so for those of you on the course, we'd really like to hear what you think of this. Now, phases one and two are when you learn the character learning method and you learn how to quickly remember vocabulary words, which are usually two characters, but sometimes there's a character itself that is uh, uh, also a word, so a one character word. But that those sections don't need to change. We've been getting nothing but good feedback from those. And essentially the feedback we've been getting from people is that the character learning method known as the Hanzi movie method and the order, which we call optimal character learning order or ACLO, that's the patent pending side of our course, that is great. And nobody wants that to change. They say I can learn characters faster than ever. It all makes sense. It's all logical. And so that part we're not going to change at all. However, we'd like to kind of keep that section of the course, the optimal character learning order or ACLO and the Hanza movie method on a bit of a track. And so what we have at the moment is that from levels one through 12, that's phase one and two, there's no change there. But starting at level 13, which is phase three, we start to introduce grammar acquisition via comprehensible input, which is the actual way to learn grammar or acquire grammar. Learning grammar is kind of dumb to do. I mean, like it's not, it doesn't take much effort to realize why it's not a very smart way to go about it. I don't want to say dumb to do this. Maybe it's very satisfying to do, but it's not actually leading you towards acquisition because grammar, learning grammar rules is the last step of language in the sense that linguists didn't know anything about grammar rules before uh, they, somebody first invented them. But just ask yourself this question. The first time grammar rules were sort of thought up or explained or articulated, were people already speaking language at that, that time? Well, yeah, of course. In the case of Chinese, a formal system of grammar is only about 100 years old. So <laughs> we're not talking about something that preceded language acquisition. Language acquisition preceded grammar rules. So when we're talking about grammar, what we mean is get comprehensible input to allow your brain to naturally pattern recognize what is going on with the language. Oh, this feels right because I've seen it like this a million times because I've seen so much comprehensible input and this feels wrong because it's, uh, I don't know, I've just never seen it like this. That's what actual grammar uh, acquisition is like. It's a feeling, right? And we want to facilitate that. We don't want to facilitate academic understanding of how the language works. We want you to actually be able to use the language, read the language, speak the language, and all of that. So the question then becomes, are these two elements of the course too disparate? And I think that based on the feedback that we're talking about, it is kind of. So what we mean by that is that in level 13, what we do is we say, okay, you've learned a new character. That unlocks a new word. Now you know a new two-character word. It's the new character you just learned, plus a character you learned previously in the course. So it's easy to understand because you already have memory of the previous learned character and you just learned this other character. Fine. And we could stop there, but then we go, okay, but you can also combine that word with other characters and words you've learned previously to create a sentence. But here's the thing. Right at that moment, the type of learning that is is significantly different enough to warrant 
the idea of that being a separate track. As a matter of fact, we make the flashcard decks, the spaced repetition flashcard decks, separately for the sentences and for the characters' vocab and uh, you know everything related to the Hanzi movie method, radicals and pinyin and stuff like that. And that allows for us to do this. So imagine that instead of in level 13 having a character uh, learned and then a word unlocked and then a sentence unlocked, we say, okay, sentences, they're still there, but they're now in the second half of level 13. So there's a level 13A and level 13B. And the A track, which will be there will be 1114A, 15A, 16A, and so forth, that is radicals, uh, characters, We'll probably tell you when words are unlocked, but we won't tell you to use them in a sentence yet because the main focus in that track is to use the mnemonic visualization and the Hanza movie method and the optimal character learning order to acquire characters rapidly. And if you get really good at it and that's your main focus, you can do it in a surprisingly short amount of time. Um, you can learn maybe... 600 characters in less than a month if you just focus on that and when it's only a month it's a pretty clear stage now that's a you know that's saying you're going to put a few hours a day into it so maybe it takes you three months if you only have an hour a day but nonetheless though you could then go back and say okay let me start the b track and the b track is the second half of every level that is focused on input understanding what's in front of you and oh by the way because you learned all those characters you're rarely going to run across a character you don't know right so a lot of the what we call top down words or words that you won't learn until later in the sequence will no longer feel new to you because you already went through the a track so what were previously considered top down words aren't really top down words anymore you now know the characters in them so that means you're getting all this great content that's sentence-based, paragraph-based, story-based, and all of that is really easy to comprehend. But it is nonetheless you taking in information as opposed to creating a mnemonic visualization. And that is such a categorical difference in learning that we think it's reasonable to keep them separate. And that's been the feedback we've gotten from people from our case studies. And so if you guys are into this idea, it's not that hard for us to change. It's just something that would be, you know, uh, kind of shocking if you didn't know it was coming. So here's the proposition again. All of the sentences and, and paragraphs and stories, also known as all the it's a word, new vocabulary unlocked lessons that contain these comprehensible sentences, putting all of them into the second half of each level, therefore giving you the option to simply follow the first half of each level all the way to the end and then following the second half of each level all the way to the end. Alternatively, you could still go, okay, I'm going to do level 13A now and then I'm going to do level 13B and then I'm going to do level 14A and then 14B. That's actually fine as well because then you're just compartmentalizing on a shorter time frame. So you're saying, okay, the first part of my week, I'm going to spend my time on the characters. And then the second half of my week, I'm going to spend my time on the sentences and grammar. That would be fine too. But at the moment, they're totally integrated. And that strikes me, you know, as we think about it more and more, we're like, well, this maybe is something that is too disparate. And so maybe we should make a change. Let us know what you think about that one. Because if you guys kind of are up for that, then we'll make that change, you know, as soon as possible. All right. As for other updates to the course, we I, I've been working on the character expansion uh, on the weekends quite di diligently because it's not something that during the week uh, can take up too much of our time. But on the weekend, I you know will focus on it, and it's going well. It's uh it's going to be interesting. We're going to get up to maybe about fifteen hundred characters in the next iteration. You know, currently our iteration ends at around six hundred characters, so we're going to add you know maybe as many as uh, nine hundred characters. And uh, it's very fun. It's interesting. It's challenging. Um, but here's an idea. Let us know what you think of this. Once we have the character order set, which is not something we can easily get other people involved in because it's, uh, it's too easy to uh, get confused. But once we have the character order set, we'd like to have some people who are really you know big into the course, the type of people who would listen to our podcast every week get together with us. We can either share like maybe a Google document or we could even do like a live stream, like a private live stream for the people who are, you know, 
beyond a certain point in the course and have like a brainstorm. Okay, here's a new component or a prop that's going to be suggested in the new iteration of the course. We can all get together and just talk about it. Be like, what's the best way to do this, you know, moving forward? And how can we, uh, how can we pick some props for this keyword connections, sharing keyword connections, just having a brainstorm session. And that way the actual content of the new part of the course will be generated by the Mandarin blueprint community, not just Luke and I, I mean, obviously Luke and I will have our own suggestions, but the idea that we can preempt the release of the expansion with the help of the people in the community is just too exciting to uh, ignore. You know, we didn't have that resource the first time we made the course. And, uh, you know, what is it? We're two heads are better than one. Well, you know, hundreds of heads are better than two. So hopefully we could get that going. Let us know if you are interested in participating in that. It's still going to be a little bit until we're ready to do that. But nonetheless, though, we could probably do something. We could even do a little bit of it uh, at some point, you know, in the future, in the near future. Okay. So other than that, uh, there's still been some minor delays on the update of the um, sort of just we add, we're adding translations, we're fixing some mistakes, like little typo errors that uh, resulted in us hurrying to ship the course because so many people were asking for it. So we've gone through and done, you know, a big proofread of everything, trying to fix everything. And while I will not guarantee that there aren't going to be mistakes after this thing, uh, you know, we finished this whole proofread sesh, it's certainly going to be way, way fewer. And for anybody who is worried about the mistakes in the course, bear in mind that the Chinese was never a problem because the Chinese was written by uh, teachers at Sichuan University. So like, that's not the issue. But some of the translations were a little bit off. Sometimes we forgot to put in a top-down word, and the vast majority of those mistakes are going to be fixed. But we ran into a little bit of a snag, which is that we wanted to have new translations for levels 26 through 36, and we did get them, but we discovered that, as per usual with translation, you know, it's translation is somewhat art. Uh, and so there were a lot of translations we took issue with, and so now we're like, oh, well, this means we have to go through and really check the translations that came from this hiring and you know in my opinion it was a little bit too expensive per hour to have this many mistakes but hey it's the internet and you're hiring people on the internet it's hard to get you know somebody who is uh super super committed to their job and you know isn't going to just take some shortcuts when they get the chance so we're going through and we're checking those and but once that's ready we're going to update all the Anki decks update all of the course platform content. As a matter of fact, some of the course platform content is already updated. And so if you run into a situation where you're at like level 27 and you're like, Hey, where's the Anki card? It's coming soon. We hopefully will finish this by the end of the week, but it's been a bit of a delay. So anyway, that's uh, what's going on there. Uh, there's other improvements that are coming along down the pike, but that's the latest around the course. So let's get right into the uh, section of the course or section of the podcast that is about the questions that have come in this week on the course and via email. So the first bit of this is going to be the pick a prop suggestions. So just like I was saying before, there's the opportunity to get the suggestions from the community of what could be good props to represent character components. Because within our mnemonic visualization uh, system, Character components are sometimes called radicals. It's not a very good name for them, but let's just say character components. They need a visual representation that is an object. And because the whole system of the Hanzi movie method is based on a movie metaphor, we'll call these objects props. Because if you're going to shoot a movie scene, you're going to need some props. You're going to need an actor and a set and some props. So this is the prop side of it representing character components. So the first one we have is Sandy, who's been smashing through this HSK3 challenge we have her doing, which is really cool. So Sandy on pick a prop for one, which is the character that means culture, but it's also a component in other culture or literature. It's a component in other characters. She said, I chose a small version of the earth like those on desks and in labs used as maps because it contains all countries in the world with their many cultures. Sure, absolutely. If you can make that quick association between the earth and the many cultures of the earth, that's fine. You know, other people will look at a map of the, or, or sorry, a globe of the earth and they'll think about topographical things or they'll think about um, astronomical things. But I can definitely see many people looking at that and going, look at all those cultures that you could imagine down there on the planet. Next, William Edmides on pick a prop for Xiang, which is the uh, elephant, 
components, and so he picked an easy one. Dumbo, sure, absolutely. Uh, next, pick a prop for Toll. A Cromulan, the giant floating head from Rick and Morty. Show me what you got. <laughs> That's a very funny episode of Rick and Morty called Get Swifty. Big fan of that episode. And yeah, the, the Cromulan head is very iconic. And uh, so, yeah, you'll remember that forever. And that's, of course, the the prop is Toe, which is the character Toe is head. But, of course, Toe is used as a, pro, as a component in other more complicated characters. Next, Connor Griffith on Make a Movie for S. So... Connor says, I couldn't come up with anything, but immediately when I saw this, it looked like a bobcat digger. That machinery needs to be operated safely. Sure. You know, it's kind of because this character S means to operate. You know, Suzy is a uh, operate machine person. And so the machine happens to be a car. So we'll call that person a driver. A Suzy, um, you know, a Gong Su. Gong means pub- public. Si means operate or operation. So a public operation, well, that's a company. Gong si. And so uh, he said, well, what, what is it? Uh, could I use this as a prop? And he says, wait, well, wait a second. It looks kind of like a bobcat digger, which you would have to operate. There needs to be an operator of a bobcat digger. You need to learn how to do that. Perfect. That's great, Connor. Sandy again on pick a prop for Xiao. She said, I, choo- I chose a huge floating Facebook sign or logo because Xiao is, means like sort of intercourse, social intercourse. It could be, um, you know, I talked in a previous podcast about how like almost all forms of human intercourse, whether it's sales or sexual or business, there's some kind of intercourse. Xiao is probably going to be in the word. And the word for uh, social media is uh, which means um, social media. Like literally, is social, and then is media. So you got the Jiao in there. Huge Facebook sign. Perfect. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Mu, which is the mother character. Um, and But it could also, you know, it's interesting. He says he sees the character kind of looks like an apron. And uh, of, of course, um, that's actually just how it looks. Now, it does have a connection to maybe the stereotypical 1950s uh, American mother, uh, but, you know, in the 1950s common gender role, which doesn't have to be the case now, but uh, he's just saying it looks like that, but if you're going to say it looks like it, then go ahead and make any other connections that you could to that. So, awesome. William on the pick a prop for my, which means to sell. He says, I'm imagining a for sale sign, just like the one you see on the front yard of your house. If you're selling it, simple prop, straight to the point, easy to recognize, and uh, usually has some kind of a connection to it. Like you can imagine, you know, William, if you, if you knew anybody in your neighborhood growing up that uh, maybe you didn't know they were going to move. I don't know if this is something that necessarily an experience that you had, but sometimes you'll see that somebody's house has gone up for sale and you'll go, Oh my gosh, I didn't know they were going to move. And then you, you know, maybe get the news that way. Um, pick a prop for Nyo, which is the character that means cow, a bottle of milk. Sure. Absolutely. Natalia on pick a prop for fan. I chose a shirt that is put on inside out. Perfect, because fan, and that's actually how you would say it. Ni fan tuan la, would mean like you put it on inside out. So that's good. Um, and but what I would say about this is just to be careful a little bit with how clear that is. So what I would suggest is, um, however you imagine a shirt that looks how it looks inside out, exaggerate those features. So for example, you can see the. Uh, stitching on the inside of a shirt, you know, like there's some stitching on the inside of the shirt. If you're watching the video, you know, any t-shirt and when you turn it inside out, the stitching is more obvious, make it really obvious. And then imagine it's like a, a sweatshirt or something that has a bit of, um, in like kind of insulating type of fiber, like make that really, really obvious. And so as long as that's super obvious, that'll be a great way to do that prop. Sandy on pick a prop for ball. Uh, which is this is the one of the sides of the um, the the character for ball signature stamp because it seals deals and bargains right so 
the there's this one aspect of the character Balt, which is we call like a seal or a stamp component. And so she's saying the signature stamp. And so that's um yeah, they have a lot of those, especially in China and in Hong Kong. There's these stamps you put on business contracts. We have to use them sometimes. I always feel like I'm the I'm the real businessman when I use that. <laughs> uh, okay, so then um <laughs> William Edmides on Pick a Prop for sure, which is the character that means history. And so you think of history and you know, if I just said to you major figure from history think of one you might think of what uh william said which was hitler so he says i'm sure he'll make for some interesting scenes and this is a good reminder that just because a an actor or a prop is something you don't like doesn't mean that it's not memorable remember memory doesn't care about whether you like something or not as a matter of fact fearful things or or sort of um contemptible things are often very memorable because you need to uh make sure that you you know, see another Hitler coming, for example, or you uh, are, if you're afraid of something or it's unpleasant, will avoid it in the future. Your memory is, exists for the purpose of helping you in the future. So things that are unpleasant, things that you don't like, they're often very memorable. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Tsi, which means uh, strange or miraculous. Uh, for whatever reason, this reminds me of a Native American headdress. So again, he's looking at how the actual prop looks and saying it looks like a Native American headdress to him. And, you know, I guess I, yeah, I could imagine it. I could imagine it. So, hey, and that's he, what, what he says here. Is he says, for whatever reason. And that's fine. Like, just trust your brain to some degree. Like, it's like, well... It looks like an American uh, Native American headdress to you, so I'll go with that. And if that sticks, then you didn't waste time because you just trusted your brain. Uh, it's only when we start questioning ourselves that we end up wasting our time. And Anki, your space repetition flashcard reviews, will tell you if you had a bad sort of association because it won't make much sense. Next, we have John Sprague on Pick a Prop for Jung. And this is an interesting, um, this is really interesting. I've noticed that around level nine, this phenomenon seems to hap happen for people. And this is in that similar area. I think Jung might be in level, it's somewhere in the level seven through nine range, I believe. But here's his, here's his comment. He says, increasingly, I find I have a propensity for conflating the meaning of a word with the association of it as a prop. For example, Jung as a character means use. As a prop, I associate it with a Swiss army knife because that's very useful. The idea of to use is too abstract. It's not, it's a verb. And so you can't visualize a verb as an object necessarily, but you can if you make a simple link. So you say, okay, to use. Well, what thing is very useful? A Swiss army knife, right? So he's saying here that he finds that he's conflating things. So he says, as a prop, I associate it with a Swiss army knife. So yong means knife. Or wait, no, it means to use. Or uh, cut, like cut with a knife. Oh, geez, slice? Wait, what was it? I keep slipping down a rabbit hole of associations. Now, this is uh, the reason why I said before that it's interesting that this seems to happen around level seven through nine is that I think on almost every type of new sort of... Uh, endeavor like learning how to use mnemonic associations to remember chinese characters there you reach a point where you've gotten to uh enough knowledge that there's a lot of things in your head right but you haven't quite done it long enough to truly master it and truly master the method so understanding the method and how it works doesn't take that long maybe 15 to 20 characters you're like okay i got it i understand how it works but getting really good at it you know that might take a few hundred characters right so that level seven through nine is that spot where you're not to several hundred characters yet you definitely understand how the method works though but now you have a lot of stuff in your head you have a lot of things that are going on and what that and what also hasn't happened yet at level seven or seven or eight is that you haven't seen yong in very much context yet there might be a couple of uh, words that it's in but it's mostly just the character and the character component and so what that means is that you haven't yet had a chance to see yong used as the meaning of to use in a sentence enough or seen it in a paragraph enough that way. And standing on the top of the mountain, when I look back down at where you are, John, I go, oh, this is not going to be a problem for you 
later, I guarantee you, because you're going to read loads of stuff that has Jung in it, and you're not going to think it means slice or knife or Swiss army knife. You're going to know it means to use because it wouldn't make any sense as meaning slice or knife in the context of the sentence. But you're not there yet, so it's in that spot where you go like, well, wait, does this actually make sense? Am I going to confuse myself in the future? Am I going to think that this means slice or knife? Is this going to work? And I totally get that feeling, but the answer is you're going to easily be able to distinguish between the two moving forward. You get better at the method, you see Jung in more context, and you will uh, ultimately just not, you'll be as easily able to distinguish them as you're able to distinguish, you know, two English words or even an English word that has two different usages. So, um, you know, uh, even just football and football. <laughs> I don't know why that one came into my head first, but football as the uh, everywhere except for America and Australia says it, and then uh, football is in American football. <laughs> but anyway, so Connor Griffith on pick a prop for nay, which means inside or within, and he says a butter churner. All right, sure. I mean, like, yeah, that could work. That could work. I mean, obviously, it's hard to necessarily extract that that means like inner or inside, but it is happening within the churner that you're creating the butter. So if that, and again, if that works for you, just just go with it. That's cool. Oh, and oh, and I see here actually. You know what? He's probably basing that on the appearance of the prop, because yeah, the appearance of the prop is definitely looks like a butter churner. Connor, you're smashing the appearance props. That's good. Because remember, there's two ways to come up with a prop. One is based on how the actual character looks what does it look like if you can think of an object that it looks like you know success that's really easy but then not all props look like things so you ask yourself well what does it mean and then can i make a link to the meaning sandy on pick a prop for yuan which means the beginning or original she says clapperboard cut filmmaking videos because usually when they start filming any scene they'll use it so okay so this is a filmmaking thing now i'm not a filmmaker so i don't necessarily have this technical knowledge but it sounds like at the very beginning of making a film you'll have this clapperboard cut film and uh i think i might know what she's talking about i would have to double check but uh that's a great example of using something you know about personally an area of expertise or at least an area of uh, proficiency in your life you know i wouldn't call myself an expert on the drums but i'm proficient on the drums for sure and i'll probably know a bunch of things about the beginning of a song or how the drums start or how you should start putting together some drums and i could do that sandy knows a bit about filmmaking and so she's going to say okay well this is the thing that happens at the beginning of filmmaking perfect i love it love it all right, and then finally, we got three more from Connor. Uh, uh, at the end here, we have Wang, which means uh, king, and that he has Burger King here. The Burger King, yeah, from those commercials. Easy. Uh, Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Tian, a mushroom cloud. <laughs> Isn't that? <laughs> Tian does kind of look like it's a mushroom cloud. I can imagine it's a mushroom cloud. Obviously, that's not how the Chinese think of it. They think of it as not only the day, but also heaven. But uh, it also does kind of look like a mushroom cloud. So, yeah, you can use that as well. Why not make things dark? All right. So let's see here. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Guan, a zipper. Guan means to close. You got to close your zipper sometimes. As a matter of fact, I would suggest making it a, a thing where it's, <laughs> it's a, maybe you could even make it the zipper of some kind where it's like, oh, it feels like, oh, your, your fly's down. Oh, quick, fix it. So actor suggestions this week, the, the actors, so as I mentioned before, in the Hanzi movie method, the actors' sets and props are representations of the pinyin initial, pinyin final, and character components respectively. So we just talked about the props because they're the most numerous. They're the most, you know, the objects that you're going to use in your memory palace are the most numerous, but there are 55 actors that you're going to choose people to represent the pinyin initial. And we picked people because think about it, it's like you just say, oh, my friend Brad, He'll represent B. It's really simple, and we're very good at remembering faces. So it's such a stupidly simple connection that you can make that allows you to remember that this character starts with the pinion initial B while just imagining a face that is very recognizable. Bill Murray. Oh, my gosh. It's B. So fast. Okay. So John, John Sprague on casting call for DI. So it'll be a female actor. 
Dame Diana Rigg is my DI actor, and she was Emma Peel in The Avengers, an ancient TV show in the 1960s, so I guess not The Avengers uh, from the Marvel Universe. Many years later, some may remember her from Game of Thrones as Elena Tyrell. Huh. About that. How about that? Yeah, that's the only thing I know her from, actually. Um, next. Oh, John's just been giving a lot of suggestions today. So for HU, he has a couple, actually. Horatio Hornblower. It, it's a U actor, so that means it's a fictional character. I don't know this character, but that's why, you know, when you're doing your fictional characters, you can choose from a universe of fiction that you know very well. You know, this is a, an aside. When I was back in the States uh, recently, my um, brother-in-law is a big fan of going to, like, the Comic-Cons, or in this case, Megacon. And we went to the biggest convention center in the U.S. in Orlando and uh, went to Megacon, which is not something that I would have done uh, on my own. But gosh, it was so cool to see how passionate everybody was about their whatever universe it was. There was all these Spider-Mans around. There were all these various versions of uh, people dressed up as the characters from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which was cool. There's a lot of Star Wars, a lot of Game of Thrones. And it was just really fun to see. And you saw, okay, these people really like their particular universe of fiction that they're looking at. And they could just choose to make their fictional actors all from that universe if they wanted to. So I don't know where Horatio Hornblower comes from, but the fact that John does means that it will work for him. Let's see here. Harcourt Felton Mud from an episode of the ancient TV show Star Trek. Star Trek is like there's just so many characters in that. You know, my sister and my brother-in-law seem to like that uh, show a lot. And so they could choose if they were to do this method. Hey, maybe they will someday. Um, but if they were to do this method, they could choose Star Trek char characters to represent the uh, ooh sound pinion initials. Alina. For the casting call for Ku, so again, another fictional character, hopefully starting with a K, Kurosaki Ichigo from uh, anime, Bleach anime. Okay, yeah. Well, that was another thing that I saw a lot of at Megacon was anime fans. And uh, yeah, if you're a fan of anime, once again, loads of characters to choose from. Connor on casting call for N, Neil Armstrong. Absolutely, because N by itself is going to be a real person, not a fictional character. So you could go with Neil Armstrong, and uh, yeah, you could just imagine him in his uh, you know astronaut suit. I can't even think of what Neil Armstrong looks like without it, to be honest. <laughs> okay, cool. Now uh, a couple more from Alina. Casting call for D. Dylan Wong, a Chinese actor, perfect. And uh, casting call for F. Uh, Louis de Funes. I don't speak. I, that's probably French. Maybe it's Spanish. I don't know other languages besides Chinese and English. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to assume that that is, uh, you know, she she went with the F for the last name. And so that's fine. You can totally do that. So if I, you know, suppose that you chose um, Brad Pitt to be your representation of B. And then you realize later you're like, oh, I would have rather gone with Bill Murray. Well, it's like, well, you could still go with Bill Murray for M. You can make it Murray. And then go that way. So you can do that. Nice. All right. Moving on to some full movie scenes. So these are the scenes that people submitted to be the full representation of a Chinese character. So they're putting together their actor sets and props, creating a mnemonic idea in their head. And they decided to very kindly share this with anybody else who's on the course. And just as a reminder to anybody who's on the course... If you're ever struggling to come up with an idea, don't forget to look at the comments down below the lesson because there might be somebody who has submitted a scene. Uh, there's more and more coming in each week. I don't think there's necessarily a user commit uh, submitted scene for every single character, but it's getting to be more and more. And so if you're ever struggling, just take a look down at the comments section. Maybe there's somebody who can give you some inspiration. So first, let's get some inspiration from Natalia on the make a movie for Tsi. Now, this is an interesting character because this character means, like, it's sort of a more written type of way of saying uh, it, kind of. You know, and sometimes it's he or she or whatever, but it's a very kind of written way of saying that. But it ends up getting used in a lot of different words. So, And it's also mostly taught to you guys because it's a major component in other more high-frequency characters. But nonetheless, let's hear what, what uh, Natalia has to say. My QI actress, because it's an I sound, so it's going to be a female actress, 
came into the kitchen of my childhood home and gave me a bar of bitter chocolate. I didn't like bitter chocolate, so I refused to take it. So she went out and returned with a helmet with horns full of chocolate bars and asked me to choose any other chocolate bar. Okay, nice. So, uh, yeah, it seems to me that there's all the elements here. So what are we talking about with chocolate bars and horns? So one of the things that we suggested with this character was to make the top component some kind of a candy bar or chocolate bar, and then to make the bottom component a helmet turned upside down because we have a component called the Viking helmet, which has two horns and a horizontal line. So it's three strokes, boom, 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 right? And, but this, in this case, it's the bottom. So it's flipped over. So it's like a helmet upside down. Uh, it's like little, almost like their legs or whatever, but she comes, she has the chocolate in there, which is the perfect representation of how this character looks. And the, the choice that she's giving her is like, it's kind of a way of getting across that abstract concept of, of he, she, or it, or whatever. Aaron on make a movie for Chen, which means this is like the more archaic version of the word dog, but it ends up getting used in so many characters and it gets used in things like, for example, anytime you're talking about something that is even in the remotest bit formal and it relates to a canine, you can think of it as like canine almost or hound, uh, then you could, you'll use this character. So for example, uh, means downward dog in yoga. So xia means down, quan means uh, dog in the more archaic form. And then shi is position or like a sort of, you know, well, just sort of what you would expect a yoga position to be. The shi is that way. So let's see what Aaron says. I went with a French bulldog, like the one from Modern Family, as the keyword for this character. I, for some reason, couldn't picture a pit bull as easily in my head because we, we kind of gave a suggestion of maybe you think of a pit bull. Plus... It being a French bulldog, I can dress it up in French clothing and give it a French accent. I can't really do a French accent. Um, but <laughs> so the make a movie for Chen. So really, she's not giving the full movie. She's just saying this is a better association for her. So that's cool. Uh-oh, we got a, we have a cup. We have one from Ija. Ija is always pretty good with these. Okay, so this is the make a movie for La, which means to pull. So the two major components in it are the hand component and the vase component, or which also means like to sort of stand upright. But she went with a vase here because it just looks like a vase. It's kind of what it, or, or an urn perhaps. So the keyword is to pull. Her actor is Leonardo DiCaprio, representing the L in La. Her set is her apartment in Australia, which starts with an A, and she's going to be outside the entrance because it's first tone. So there's your pronunciation. Leonardo DiCaprio outside the entrance of her Australia apartment. La. And then she's got her uh, props, a giant foam finger, which is the hand or finger prop on the left, and a giant face. Simple. After finally winning an Oscar, Leonardo DiCaprio decided that he got bored of acting and wanted to play violin instead. One night, DiCaprio was late to his performance at the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> he was scrambling to get his violin stored in my apartment. <laughs> of course. And by the way, just as a tangent, that is fine. So Leonardo DiCaprio stored his violin at Ija's apartment in Australia. Why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's where he stored it. There was a giant vase blocking the entrance, and he used all his might to pull the vase away so that he could open the door. He even used a rope, but to no avail. He got flustered after a few tries. So <laughs> that's a moment. Facial expressions. Absolutely. Like, oh, trying to pull. Uh, uh, uh. And uh, maybe drop the rope because that introduces a new object, but he's just not going to forget this. Okay. But he remembered that there's a magical giant foam finger stored in his car. He used the oversized finger to pull the vase away from the door. Voila! He managed to get the violin and rush to the event. He was so late that the performance had already ended when he arrived. He stood at the entrance crying, but then he suddenly woke up and relieved that it was just a dream. It was only 7.30 p.m. He showered and went to get the violin he stored in my apartment. He was surprised to see a giant vase blocking the entrance. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I'm only just getting now, of course, that she's making a reference to the movie Inception to some degree by having 
Leonardo DiCaprio be in a dream and then when he wakes up from the dream and arrives at her house again, something about the dream world seems to have represented reality, which is kind of how the movie Inception ends. It's like, was it all a dream? And so, wow, well done, Ija. And I also like that, you know, she... (laughs) It's like, uh, this is too unpleasant for Leonardo DiCaprio to feel, so let's just make it not real. He wakes up from a dream, and then he didn't actually miss his performance because Ija is such a nice person. (laughs) That was awesome. Uh, Excellent job, Ija, as always. Next, a a much simpler, which is sometimes, you know, better, uh, lesson or a movie scene from Connor. Uh, He says he has Jupiter, Zeus, and this is for the make a movie for Jue. Uh, so this is um, like ding, which means to make a decision or or has this sense of like decision or like a finality to it. You know, there's something about that, how this character feels when you use it. So he says he has Jupiter and it starts with that sound before you get to the eh. So the um, he said, so that's gods. He has Jupiter or Zeus, deciding to use an icicle, that's the left side component, as a means to get Clifford the Clifford the Big Red Dog, that's the, uh, you know, component that means large, to drop the, drop the severed horse head. So that's the final third component. So that's the little uh, horizontal line followed by a vertical line. So I have Jupiter deciding to use an icicle as a means to get Clifford to drop the severed horse head because he is getting blood all over the hallways of my school. Right. So he ha- what you need to emphasize here is the decision. And I mean, maybe in Connor, Connor, in your head, the decision is very clear. So what you might want to imagine is that uh, here's a way you can do it. So this is a risky thing to do, but. Because you don't necessarily want to introduce new cro- new objects so you don't confuse yourself. But imagine that there are several objects on the a table. And there's like a gun and a sword and an icicle and a, you know, a rope or whatever. And Jupiter is deciding what to do. And he's got a look on his face like, which one should I use? And just make sure that the icicle is like bright and shining and glowing and just amazingly... Uh, awesome and the other objects are like grayed out almost like they are in like a video game and you can't choose them and so that way even though there's other objects they aren't going to confuse you in that way so that's the thing and the reason why i'm saying emphasize that is because decide is the keyword connection there next we have some miscellaneous questions that have come in uh this week so we have sandy on it's a word for hun and she asks why are there two dung the character Dung, why is there two of them in the following sentence? Uh, and the sentence is, 你等这个比赛等了很长时间吗? And so that, you'll notice there's two there. You know, 你等这个比赛等了很长时间吗? And she says, why not skip the first Dung? And we'll still have the same meaning, right? So uh, you could say, 你这个比赛 that would be fine. It's actually, it's your choice, really. There's a few different ways that you can say uh, this type of thing. But what's happening in this sentence is that the speaker is establishing a topic and then commenting on that topic. So, 你等这个比赛. That's the topic. You're waiting for this competition to start. Or you, yeah, it's like, well, not necessarily to start, but you, or maybe just how long have you been waiting for this competition? It could be months or whatever. That's the comment on the, or technically it's a question, but it's like establishing the topic and then asking a question about it or making a comment about it. So uh, it's a very common structure in Chinese to do this. So, 你说话说了多久呢? That'd be the same thing. So like, 你说话说了多久呢? That'd be putting two 说 in there. Um, 你, 你跑步跑了多长? You know, that'd be how far did you run? Uh, after, you know, like you established 你跑步跑了多长? Right, so that's, uh, the, the subject is 你跑步. The comment is, 跑了多长? Uh, how far did you run? 
right? And you don't have to do that, but it's a very common structure. I hear people do it all the time. So it's, it's sort of like a, it, it, I think it's a reflection on a type of thinking. It's like the way I'm thinking about it is I set the topic first and then I comment on the topic. And so again, it's not a requirement to do it that way because just how there are a million different sort of ways to talk about things in, uh, to talk about the same exact thing in your native language, the same is true of Chinese. And, and this is why, to be honest, this type of question, it's like, I completely understand why you would ask it, but it doesn't actually matter that much because all you need to know is that you can say it this way if you want. Asking why is it like this is kind of like, well, the answer fundamentally is kind of like because it evolved that way over many hundreds and thousands of years. And so it's like, where is the exact answer to that? And does that answer make you acquire Chinese faster? Well, no, not really. What it does do, though, is tell you or what the sentence does do is tell you, oh, you can use a verb twice if you want. And so I totally get that feeling of like, I want to know why is it like this? I, I've asked teachers questions like that a million times, but I can say from some acquired wisdom after studying Chinese for as many years as I have that it doesn't actually end up providing you any greater speed to reaching fluency. Next, we have Mel on uh, uh, Annie Laoshi review the nasal final yung, which uh, so this is a pronunciation mastery question. She says, is the NG sound trailed off when spoken in words like yo yong, yo yong, which means to swim? It sounds like yo yo to me. I then clearly hear it in words like bu yong xie. Did you address this in another post any chance? Sorry, I have zero articulation of Chinese sounds still. Womp, womp. I'll just keep practicing. You'll get it. It's just a matter of training up those muscles. So um, like a lot of things uh, that relate to N and the NG sound, sometimes, depending on the tone, depending on what comes after it, depending on where it is, you'll lose a little bit of it because it kind of flows into the other things. You know, like an example of this would be the word environment and in English or government, you don't really articulate the N very much. Uh, and so things like that can happen, especially with third tone, yo, 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 it's not that it's not there. It's just that because third tone is quite low and it's short, it, it's not exactly cut off. It's just that it is by its very nature, somewhat short. And then that's a fourth tone. So like, it's kind of, and if you don't say the NG, and just say, like you said, oh, right? So like if I went yo, 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 compare that to yo, 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 yo. The difference is that the back of my throat is changing its position when I go yo, yo. Because I'm doing a, even if it's somewhat cut off auditorily speaking, because my tongue makes a different movement in the back of my mouth naturally, because I am, um, I'm trying to articulate the NG that changes the position of all the different um, muscles in my mouth cavity and throat cavity, and therefore creates a different quality of sound. So even if you were just going to say it is almost like yo yo. But because if I just say yo by itself without trying to say the NG, my tongue doesn't do that same thing in the back. Yo, yong, yong. My tongue d distinctly moves in the back. Uh, whereas it doesn't if I just go yo, 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 yong, yo, yong. So because the mouth muscles are so different, that's the difference you'll get. It may not always come through super clearly because of the nature of third tone. But that doesn't mean the quality of the sound is not significantly different. Layla Lee on Compound Final AI Quiz. Truly grateful for your effort in creating Mandarin Blueprint for us. Thank you a thousand times. Really appreciate that, Layla. We're um, always working on it. It's really tough to run an online business sometimes. But when I get messages like that, it makes us, well, I know it makes Luke and I both very pleased and happy. few more questions here. Connor Griffith on it's a word for ta. I get confused with the l. L structure when it is used for the duration of things 
Okay, the le structure when it is used for the duration of things. I can never, never remember if the second le means the action has completely stopped or if it is still ongoing. It's still ongoing. I didn't realize how easy finding the answer was going to be. Uh, so for everyone wondering, action plus le plus duration means that you are no longer doing it. With action plus le plus duration plus le, it is ongoing. Right. 我学汉语学了五年多了。我学汉语。I've studied Chinese. 学了. That's the first le. So it has happened. There's been a completion to some degree. 五年多. That's a time. Five years. More than five years. Le. Still happening. Right? 我学汉语学了五年多了。学了五年多了。Right, so that's that second le indicating it's still happening. Whereas, uh, it's over, it's happened, it's completed. There's no second le, and there also isn't a duration in that case, but that's the idea there. <laughs> and also, good job, Connor, finding the answer to that pretty quickly. Next, we have uh, Anna. On the bonus, principle versus reality in Mandarin. Thanks a lot for this video. It is interesting, but also very entertaining, especially the part about why and when people switch into Mandarin from their local dialect. Right. So this video, principle versus reality in Mandarin, what it was about was the focus on remembering that Mandarin is not actually spoken 100% by anybody naturally, but it has the most connections to all the different dialects and the most connections to any kind of formal writing. And it is by far the most bang for your buck you can get if you're going to learn any language. And people say, well, what about my local dialect? dialect of the place I am in China? First of all, if you're not in China, absolutely learn Mandarin. But if you are in China, should I learn my local dialect? Well, you know, the answer is still to learn Mandarin because... First, because if you learn Mandarin first, figuring out the corresponding connection to the local dialect is going to be, you know, easy to do. And if you learn characters properly, the writing system will be the same. And, you know, I live in Sichuan and Sichuanhua. It's very different than Putonghua, right? And so if I'm going to compare Sichuanese to Mandarin, I could say, well, maybe I should learn Sichuanese because more of the people around me are speaking Sichuanese day to day, and I just go, well, no, though, because they all speak Mandarin also, and over time, I kind of figured out the Sichuanese. It just sort of happened, because I learned the Mandarin, and now when people speak Sichuanese around me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see, like, you guys say, not chifan. but, like, they're close enough. It's not like they're saying, like, gobbledygook and chifan. Like, it's like, they're saying, chifan. They're somewhat close, so you can kind of figure out those corresponding relationships, and it just sort of happened naturally for me. So, you know, I think it would probably be the same for you. Uh, obviously, there are some dialects, like in um, uh, Fujian, that are like totally different from Mandarin, and that's a different story. But you know, that's only going to affect a certain number of people. If you're in any of the international cities in China, knowing Mandarin is going to be of the highest usefulness to you. John says on the make a movie for Yong, which is clearly he's a couple of comments on that area. He said to use or user makes me think of a heroin junkie or shooting up. Not a very nice association, but who said that associations have to be nice? I mean, like we leave out a lot of the potential associations we could have because we want to make sure that this is a family friendly course. But as I said earlier, like disgusting associations, scary associations, violent, sexual, like all that stuff is okay. You can totally use it if it helps you remember. The whole, it's just about mem remembering things. So if imagining a heroin user or a junkie is a way for you to quickly remember the character, I mean, go for it. Like it's like you have a, an unlimited budget of your imagination to create whatever associations work for you. And the end goal is a good goal. It's to be able to communicate with over a billion people and be able to read incredible classic literature that is coming from a totally different civilizational and evolutionary perspective of language. I mean, the, the rewards for this are so high that, I mean, who cares if you have like a slightly not PC association? It's all only happening in your head anyway. Deborah Jansen on It's a Word for Tool or Tool. 
She says, hello, I agree with Nassim. It would be great if at some point a PDF of all sentences from level 13 on was available to print off level by level, maybe with the level complete files. I've been doing a screen copy and print so that I can work through them on paper, making up the characters and words, etc. But it's a bit inefficient. Just a thought. Working with the sentences is a lot of fun and a real challenge. And so, yeah, I'm... I'm down for this idea as i said you know uh previously in the podcast we're, we're still updating a few things on the sentence side of things but when that's done there's something to be said for creating these pdfs you're talking about and you know hopefully we'll be able to get to it because all these projects that you know it's like about five thousand sentences so it takes a while to make but still you know it's a good idea from the perspective of course maintenance and improving how things already are Final question today from Jim Mawafadeju, and this is from the email. He says, if a person said that they were interested in learning about Chinese people, would it be reasonable for that person to learn the Chinese language? In other words, when it comes to studying Chinese people, is it important to study their language? I think so. And now, just to be clear, what Jim is saying here is, I want to study Chinese people and like maybe their culture and how they think, or, or sorry, I shouldn't say how they think. It's not that how they think. It's common phenomenon that likely results from very frequently used ways of thinking in China. It's always important to make that distinction. Every individual is unique. Every person, there's an incredible diversity of ideas and opinions and uh, intellectual sort of uh, pursuits in China. So, it, it, you know, when, I, when I'm generalizing, it's not about individual people. It's about things that I've seen a lot. And I've just gone, oh, I see this thing happening here a lot doesn't mean that everybody does it, doesn't mean that anybody advocates for it, doesn't mean anything other than it's just an observation that I've made having been in China for, you know, well over eight years and lived here and been involved in the society. So everything here is kind of subjective. But the language, the reason why it'll help you understand the way that many Chinese people think is because it's, there's so many um, areas of the language that facilitate humility and that help you with categorical thinking. This is a bit of a hobby horse that I've been on since starting this podcast is, oh my gosh, is Mandarin and Chinese good at teaching you how to think categorically? And also it naturally creates humility because it's so obvious what you don't know. And I don't mean in the language itself. I mean, the language does a good job of portraying a topic in a very simple way so that you know, wow, even though this topic is something I've never looked into before, the language on its face gives me a pretty decent overview of what it must be about. And so it's probably complicated. It's probably very rich and deep and full of loads of intellectual uh, curiosity. And I've never pursued that at all. And so that creates a sort of natural humility, I think, because if you see something you don't understand in the English language, but the word itself doesn't give you any indication of what it is, like the word entropy. You know, that, that word bothered me for a really long time because I was like, what the heck is that? And I eventually looked it up. But like if you had the word giving a better idea of what it is or at least not requiring linguistic knowledge of the roots of the language to let you know what it is, then you'll at least have a sim simple idea. And then if you don't look into it, you know what you haven't looked into to some degree. Like it's like, the classic example I've given many times is the uh, word aesthetics in English. The word aesthetics is not doesn't give you anything as to what it means if you're not a linguistic scholar and can understand where like the uh, the root prefixes and suffix of the word aesthetics come from, which I certainly don't. But in Chinese, it's mei xue, beauty study, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, I clearly understand what that is on a very basic level. And so if I never pursue that, I know that I didn't pursue it. I know what I didn't pursue. Whereas if I look at aesthetics, I might look at that and go, I don't know what that means. I don't know what this word means. So I, it doesn't even register to me that it's a big, rich, deep topic that I haven't pursued, you know? So that will help you understand how Chinese people think when you realize, oh, the language itself has a huge effect on humility and sort of awareness of what you don't know. And then, of course, there's plenty of other ways in which the language, uh, you know, facilitates certain ways of thinking versus other ways of thinking. Maybe there's a reason why China has a different system of government that weirdly seems to be working pretty well right now, despite the fact that it has these 
elements to it that we from the West look at and go, well, this is so different from our set of values, but don't mistake that for meaning they don't have a set of values, right? Like I think that that sometimes we get a little bit, not saying everybody, but there's certain advocates for the way that we do things in the West from a government perspective that are, they're like, well, this is the way. And it's like, the longer I've lived in China, I've been like, no, it's a way. It's a way. And so uh, sometimes studying the language can help you understand why might it be that Chinese people, A, are okay with their government and B, have an inc- the government has an incredibly high approval rating. Well, maybe the language can help a little bit with that. And doesn't it solve all answers to that? And there's plenty of other complex sociological reasons for that that are far beyond my ability to understand. But I would say, Jim, that if you are interested in learning about the Chinese people, learning the language is going to help so much. Um, you know, you could meet Chinese people who have incredible English and they could talk to you about their experience. But even then, you know, I would say learning the language itself and speaking to people in that language is one of the best ways. So we'll finish there. And thank you very much, everybody. MandarinBlueber.com. Go over there. Check it out. And if you haven't signed up for the course, what are you even doing with your life? Go and check out the free trial. It's uh, 20 lessons. It shows you everything about why this course is different, better, new, and it's the thing that's going to change how quickly we can learn Chinese. Check it out, MandarinBlueber.com, and we'll see you in the next podcast.